0: Can we guess, so so family fortunes time, can we guess what the top five items left on uh, the London Underground Network in 24? (laughs) Umbrellas. Umbrellas is good. Umbrellas is number four. (laughs) Mobile phones phones is the top answer. Do you know, in 2014, 20,000 mobile phones were left on the Underground. Okay, anything else? So we've got umbrellas and mobiles. Wallet. Well, uh, wallet is number three with 11,500. Very good. Laptops, not laptops. Children. No. Glasses. No. Number five is keys. uh, Nearly 11,000 keys. And number two, it's a bit of a strange one.' This travel card wallets. It's like the little wallet that they keep your oyster card in. I don't know whether the oyster card's in it or not, but it be expensive if it's, uh, if it's not. So they're the top five things. So there's some things people left on the, the London Underground last year. Today, I want to look at things that we are asked to deliberately leave behind as we follow Jesus. And I'm going to read from uh, Luke's Gospel from Luke chapter five and verses. 1 to 11. It says, One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, On shore, left everything and followed him. Let's pray, shall we? Well, Father, we want to thank you for the privilege we've had already this morning of being able to worship you. Incredible privilege that you took the initiative with us to enable us to know you, to recognize you, to appreciate you. And the privilege of of approaching you in worship and praise and giving you glory and uh, uh, ascribing majesty to you, We thank you for that awesome privilege and we thank you that here we come to a place where you want to speak to us, where you want to, in, in all that majesty and splendour and glory and authority, come and speak with us and have dealings with us and interact with us. And so, Father, we pray as we look at your word, Lord, would you open our hearts, would you open our minds, would you uh, stretch our understanding and our comprehension this morning to receive your word, not just at the level of our soul and our, our kind of intellect or our emotions, but in the level of our spirit to connect with you, that the words you speak this morning would be spirit-empowered words of life and faith and conviction. And so, Father, we invite you to exercise your lordship and your authority among us this morning. Speak your word to us and release your purposes in our lives that ultimately, Lord, you would receive glory and you would receive praise and your kingdom would advance. Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name and for his name's sake. Amen. Amen. So fantastic passage, a fairly, I suppose, well known. If you're familiar with the, the Gospels, fairly well known passage. Um, a lot of focus on this call to be fishers of men. But uh, in this passage, we read about Jesus teaching the people, teaching by the, the lakeside. There's some boats there. So Jesus gets in the boats and teaches the people. And after, we see this really inter- interesting interaction with Simon Peter and a miraculous catch. Fish and the the verse I want to focus on this morning is in verse 11 where it says, They pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything and followed him. They left everything and followed him. It's a a massive kind of thing, you know. They left everything, they left their boats, they left their nets, they left what they'd been doing and followed. Jesus, because they become convinced and convicted and persuaded of something about this person, Jesus, who was worth leaving everything for and following. Their perspective had changed. And they left everything and followed Jesus. And later on in Luke's gospel, in in chapter 14 of Luke, we read about people giving excuses to Jesus about why they couldn't follow him because they bought some oxen or they bought a field or they just got married. But these men left everything. Doesn't it say, you know, they, they sort of drew up some pre-following contract and put in the fine print of their terms and conditions? They get out clauses and followed him. Doesn't it say they, you know, agreed, negotiated with Jesus about the terms of their discipleship? Or because everything in the garden was rosy, they followed him? Or, you know, they put everything in long-term storage because they might want it again sometime? They left some things and followed him. They left everything and followed Jesus. And this morning, I want to talk about some of the implications for us in that and really what that means. But first, I want to just kind of pick out four observations from this passage that helped form the building blocks that enabled these men to leave everything for Jesus. And the first one is that Jesus met these men on their turf, on their territory, in their uh, orbit, their sphere of influence. And this, I think, helped Peter to recognize Jesus for who he is. It's kind of a bit like when you see things in a different context, it changes it. You know, if uh, if I was kind of walking along the street in... Uh, in Newcastle, and I saw Jane on the other side of the street, I'd kind of go and say, oh, hi, Jane. You know, if I was in London, and I saw Jane on the other side of the street, I'd think, wow, that's really weird. That girl looks just like Jane. But I wouldn't expect her to to be uh, there. Or kind of when you're in other cultures, sometimes it takes a little bit of a while to work out what's kind of normal and what's expected, that actually the surroundings that we're in makes a difference to how we understand things. So Peter had already seen Jesus do incredible things. In the previous chapter, in Luke chapter 4, he, we'd kind of read about Jesus healing people and uh, delivering uh, demons from people, and even Peter's mother-in-law was healed But it's only here, when we're in Peter's kind of world, as it were, of kind of fish and fishermen and kind of where he is at home, does he fully recognize how incredible Jesus was. When he does this miracle with the fish, Peter suddenly says, you know, get away from me. He recognizes this man. You know, he must have known that he was something special, but something of the full implications of who Jesus is really struck him. When Jesus did something personal with him, that he understood, you know, he knew about fish and fishing maybe more than he knew about kind of uh, healing people or deliverance. And it's it's incredible because I suppose for me I kind of think, well, the, the kind of you know healing someone that's a greater miracle than just catching a load of fish, you know. I could probably put the fish thing down to coincidence or chance a bit more than healing. But for Peter, this was the world that he knew. This was his frame of reference. And so Jesus puts things in terms to help Peter really get it. And I guess it's kind of probably the the word we would use would be about putting it in context or contextualizing it. You know, it's a really important thing that we do when we're trying to help people understand the Bible or explaining the gospel. We contextualize the, the message. We speak it in a language that people understand, you know. Our Bible is contextualized. It wasn't written in English, but it's been translated into English so that we can understand it. And sometimes when we are sharing the message and sharing the gospel with people, we need to put it in language that they understand. Not that we water it down, but that we put it in terms that match people's frame of reference. And it's quite a challenge because it, you know, in society today, it seems like it's changing Um, Around and you know, Pastor Clive has talked lots about you know, the way in which maybe we preach the gospel or the church preached the gospel in the 1960s is different now because we're living in a different nation and you know, uh, postmodernism and people just think differently. And so, we have to contextualize the message. And but you know, God did this all the way through history, you know, in the Old Testament and the prophets, you know, that God asks the prophets to explain their message or demonstrate or enact their message in ways that people can really. Get it, you know, some very visual, very shocking ways that help the penny drop. Jesus himself, you know, is the the son of God um, contextualized. This is because the word became flesh and had his dwelling among us. You know, you see the Apostle Paul putting the message in in context. I guess the best example of this is in Acts 17 where he goes to the Areopagus and he looks around and he tries to understand what sort of people are these? What do they believe? What do they think? And he explains the gospel in a way suitable for them, which is very different than if it was in the synagogue to people who had a kind of Jewish background. And here the Lord Jesus puts things in a context that helps Peter get it. So that's the first thing. Jesus met these men on their territory, on their turf. The second thing is about how Jesus made the difference. Jesus made the difference. So they hadn't caught anything. They caught nothing. And Jesus asked them to put out their nets again. Now, it seems from what Peter says in here, you kind of get the sense that Peter's attitude is, this is a pointless endeavor. You know, we have been fishing all night, you know. Don't think the fish are just hiding around the corner like they've been playing, you know, Nicky-knocky nine doors or something like that. Um, you you're familiar with, you know, knock, knock, you know, that kind of thing. I think that it's one of those things that, you know, every city has a different name for it where you ring the doorbell and you kind of run away as a child, you know. The fish haven't been, that's, anyway, I digress. The fish haven't been doing that. They haven't been just hiding around the corner. The fish are not there. But Jesus shows there are different rules at play here. Jesus makes a difference. So um, at at kind of... um uh, work and some of the things that I'm involved with there's a big focus on kind of evidence-based you know looking for evidence-based interventions so we want to put in place things that have been proved to work where there's been like a you know randomized control trial where there's a control group and then there's a group receiving the intervention and it's been proved that this intervention has an evidence base it works and it's successful and looking for things like that well, Jesus shows there are different rules at place because this is, you know, Peter and the fishermen, they're the same men with the same boat in the same water and the same nets, but it's Jesus that makes the difference between them not catching fish and them catching fish, you know, and no kind of evidence base can determine how things work. Thanks, Dave. Jesus makes the difference. And I guess if, when, once you've been a Christian a while, you, you quickly, and you've kind of got a bit of, kind of, reflexed, uh, re, kind of you're able to reflect on it a, a little bit, you do learn the difference between when you commit things to God and when you don't, or when you're involved in something the Lord is in, and when you're involved in something that just seems like a good idea to you. Jesus makes the difference. So the third observation is that Jesus gave them success at such a scale, an unprecedented scale, that was bigger than could be contained. Their nets began to break and their boats began to sink. But it was in this place of success that Jesus asked them to leave everything and follow him. And I think this is interesting because it seems to me it's probably easier to leave when things aren't going well. It's easier to leave a job when it's not going very well, when you, know, you're, uh, you, you haven't got that promotion and the pay and the terms and conditions are rubbish and it just doesn't seem to be going well. It's kind of easy to leave in that situation, isn't it? But when things are going really well, You know, that's hard. You know, Peter could have been there and said, look, the Lord came to my boat and taught from my boat. And look at this abundant catch of fish. Is this really the time to lead? Look, you know, the the anointing is here. The presence is here. But it's in that place of success that Jesus asked them to leave everything and follow him. And I've spoken to people before who sometimes struggle with... um, as we're seeing the need for people they know or their friends to, to kind of need to um, become a Christian, need to put their trust in Jesus. Because, you know, people have said to me, oh, but their life seems so sorted. They seem really happy and content and just really great. And I, I just, you know, I don't know what, what being a Christian will add to their life. It's like, well, that's not the point (laughs) for a start, you know, if we are just following Jesus for what he can add to our life, then we've got a pretty shallow faith. And I think, you know, in terms of what we've been speaking about the past few weeks, about the true gospel, we've missed the point because we follow Jesus because he's worth following, because he is the true king, because that's what we were made for, not because it's going to work out well for me and my life was terrible and now it's going to be really good. But sometimes Jesus is in that place of success that actually Jesus is able to call us into something new. Now, you know what? Sometimes when when God's calling us into um, other things, actually we start to see things change. I remember talking to a friend of mine who was a, a missionary in another country, and he was talking about, you know, when... Like God had kind of called them to come back to the UK. And in that sort of time of transition, he recognized that almost the sense of grace was leaving him. He started to get annoyed by those kind of local cultural practices that he used to have grace for. And this is kind of part of God drawing him away. But it's really a warning against assuming, well, here's something, I'm sure God's called me into this, but it's not going right, so I'm just going to walk away. Actually, you know, we need to have faith that God can call us in times of success and not just in times of failure. So, uh, so Jesus met them on their own territory. Jesus made the difference. Jesus gave them success on a massive scale before he called them away. And then the, the final observation is that Peter obeyed because of his confidence in Jesus rather than his confidence in the outcome. So it's pretty obvious that, that Peter doesn't expect anything to happen. That this is just... I'm, I'm kind of going through the motions a little bit here, Lord. But he doesn't let that be the last word. And I know we've spoken about this before, that kind of important difference about where you put the but, isn't it? It's whether you say, well, Lord, you've asked me to do this, but you know what? We've been fishing all night and haven't caught a thing. So bet that is what has the last word. And it's very different to say, well, you know what? We've been fishing all night and we haven't caught a thing, but you've asked me to do this. So I am going to do it. And, and And so Peter did it not because of his faith in the outcome, but because of his faith in Jesus. You know, if he was just doing it because he thought he was going to get a massive catch of fish, that's not putting his faith in Jesus. That's putting his faith in, you know, the chances of that happening. He might as well put a tenner on the 420 at Haydock Park. Because, you know, it's the same sort of principle. I'm going to do it because I think this is what the outcome is going to be. Peter doesn't do that. He puts his faith in Jesus. Well, Jesus, you have asked me to do it. That's the last word. That's what I'm going to do it. That's his filter. What has Jesus asked me to do? So there's our four kind of observations on this passage. And Jesus met them on their territory. He made the difference, gave them success on a massive scale, and they put their confidence in Jesus rather than the outcome. And these, I think, are all important building blocks that helps them to then go on and leave everything and follow Jesus. So they left everything. What are we talking about? Some of the things Peter and the fishermen had to leave behind seem fairly obvious. You know, physically, they left their boats, they left their nets, they left their jobs, their source of income, their daily activity. And that's a massive thing. That's a big change and a big transition. And you see it with others that follow Jesus, other of Jesus' disciples. So Levi or Matthew, the tax collector, he stopped being a tax collector and he walked away and he followed Jesus, Simon the Zealot, he was a, you know, political activist, revolutionary, uh, you know, militant. Um, and he left that all behind to follow Jesus. You know, later on in Acts, you know, not, not kind of one of the 12, but Paul, you know, was living a life of kind of religious fundamentalism and zeal for the Jewish faith. And he left it all, walked away from the thing that had been most precious to him, all he'd known, the most important thing in his life, and followed Jesus and today all over the world people are choosing to follow Jesus in the face of massive consequences like this people are, are leaving their jobs to follow Jesus either because their job is incompatible with being a disciple of Jesus or because they they're kicked out of their job because they're a Christian you know all over the world people are you know being cut off from their families because they're choosing to follow Christ and their families, you know, because of their own culture or their own religious uh, beliefs, cut them off. You know, all over the world, people are being, uh, having to leave the nations that they are part of and born into because they are choosing to follow Jesus. Putting their own lives and the lives of their family in danger because they have seen something that is greater. Because they have encountered someone who is worth following whatever the cost. So these men leave their, their life and their livelihood behind to follow Jesus. But I think there are less obvious and more significant, in some ways, deeper things here that maybe are more universally um, applicable to us because the Lord may not ask us to leave our job right now in that way, but there are some um, things that, uh, that they did have to leave that we can learn from. The first one uh, is about leaving behind our old identity. Leaving behind our old identity. So these guys were fishermen. And that's what they did. That was their way of living. Probably their way of smelling. You know, 24-7, it was fairly obvious these guys were fishermen. Um, it was a, a, a kind of a way of life. But it's really interesting that when Jesus... And encounters them and in this passage we read about in Luke chapter 5, they hadn't caught anything. They hadn't caught anything. And this allowed, on the one hand, Jesus to do the miracle that he did, and it was so powerful, but it also challenges their identity. You know, it's like the start of a bad joke, you know, what do you call a fisherman who doesn't catch fish? You know, it was a real challenge. You can't go on being a fisherman if you don't catch fish, can you? I'm a theoretical fisherman. Catch theoretical fish. You know, okay, you're a fisherman. How is that working out for you? It was a challenge to their identity. And identity is a massive issue today. It is huge. And uh, I guess it's, it's kind of one of the things we've seen in the My Life campaign that we've been doing, that people are embracing things and and kind of really making them personal from, you know, some things that are a little bit kind of sad um, to things that are completely tragic. And I think it's kind of one of the challenges in sharing the gospel with people and calling them to repentance is when their sin and their sinfulness, has has, they've kind of made it part of their identity. Uh, There's this... Um, verse in in Jonah, in Jonah chapter 2 verse 8, it says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. There's this sense of people, I'm I'm kind of making this sin part of me. I think it's a big challenge when talking to people about sexuality and, uh, you know, kind of homosexuality and that sort of challenge that for some people that's just been part of their identity. And so when you come with the gospel, it's just like you're challenging me and my identity and my value and my self-worth. Whereas actually, you know what? The The Bible principally doesn't. The main way the Bible defines people isn't by their sexuality. That's what the world does. You know, the Bible defines people by their relationship to Jesus. But that's (laughs) it's another story, isn't it? But identity is a big challenge, a big challenge. And whatever kind of old identity we might have, we need to leave it behind. I think it was. um, It's interesting in the the, um, my life campaign. You know, talking to people about you know, sum your life up. My life is, finish that sentence, I'll sum it up in a few words. I spoken to a few people who spoke to people who, uh, who are Christians, and, uh, you know, maybe from kind of other churches or other cities, but actually that didn't come out in what they said my life is. It's only kind of when you kind of ask questions and probe and you've been talking to them for about 10 minutes that you find out that they're a Christian. And it's just like, surely this should be uppermost in who I am and how I view myself. It's not that I'm, you know... Uh, a, a student, or uh, a, I don't know, a binman, or whatever it might be, that I'm a follower of Jesus. I am a follower of Jesus. That that's more important than my my work or my family, even, or whatever affiliations I have. It's more important than my personality, whether I'm an introvert or an extrovert. I'm a follower of Jesus. It says in Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. In the next chapter, it goes and says, your life is not your own. I've shared this before, but I still kind of remember when I read that verse in 1 Corinthians, I still remember a conversation I had with somebody in, when I was in Moscow a few years ago and talking to a lady there who was a missionary in Moscow. She was from the Ukraine. And uh, she's talking about how God was calling her to leave Moscow and go to a place in the north of uh, Russia that had been quite notorious in terms of uh, kind of Ukrainian-Russian relations. You know, it's not just, you know, things kicking off now. It's like, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. There's kind of a long history of antagonism between Ukraine and Moscow. And, and this place that she felt God was calling her to was like notorious in its, how it had treated Ukrainians in the past. And... Uh, And she kind of said, she said, sometimes I wonder, why would God call me to go to this place that is just such, carries such um, baggage for my people? And she said, and then I remember, my life is not my own. I've given it to Jesus. He can call me wherever he wants to call me. We need to leave behind our old identity, whether it's our nationality, whether it 's our political affiliations, whether it 's our experience or our kind of family upbringing, whatever it might be, and receive our new identity, new creations in christ we're followers of jesus and this can be quite a chi- a challenge you know i am um, it 's kind of a, quite a challenge I, I find at at work you know on the whole i you know I want to um, relate well to people and to engage well with people and be able to get alongside people, but what I find certainly in my workplace is some of the the kind of um, the level of of banter and conversation in in the office means I have to disengage a bit from from that and I kind of there 's this tussle you know because you want to be alongside people and you want to get on with people to be able to to um, you know, support them and help them and share the love of God with them. But ultimately, my, my you know, first and foremost, I'm a follower of Jesus. And, you know, I just cannot engage with this conversation. And so I have to take a step back and I have to, you know, just kind of get on with my work. And there's a cost in that. But then, you know, my identity is not in in being a, a kind of a a great guy at work since being a follower of Jesus. And what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So our identity, we need to leave behind our old identity and follow Jesus. The second um, thing is about leaving behind our old way of thinking, our old way of thinking. So there's certain rules of fishing, that uh, that normally apply. But as we've already seen, you know, Jesus changes the rules. Jesus changes the rules. When we become a Christian, suddenly what is sensible, what is appropriate, what is the done thing changes. And and again, that can be quite a challenge. I remember as a a student and a a kind of fairly young Christian, you know, some of my friends were um, not Christians and, uh, and, but, but kind of generally, you know, are for you and want the best. And, you, you know, if, when you're in the purpose of God and the dealings of God, it can be quite a challenge. And sometimes people come and help them and they say, oh, I'm sure, you know, God wouldn't want you to be unhappy or to be burdened like this and that. And it's just like, actually, you don't know. You know, when you're a Christian, the rules are different. You know, we follow a different standard and a different way of thinking. We, It's different. You know, what we, um, you know, what some of us who are involved in Grow are trying to do, I think is a, a kind of challenge for some people kind of around us, whether it's kind of friends or families. It's just different, isn't it? There is a, a standard. What you do is you just send your children to, to, to school. You know, they are the experts in education, aren't they? You know, notwithstanding the fact that churches have been running schools for thousands of years and the local authority are just the Johnny come latelys (laughs) in the past hundred years, but never mind about that. But, you know, this is the way that things happen. And when you do something different, it can be very obvious and very, um, it can feel like you're out on a limb. But actually, we leave behind our old way of thinking. How we prioritize, how we invest our energy and our time and our money and what we do is different. It changes our career choices are different. What we do with our house moves is different. How we spend our time is different. Recently, I've been trying to be um, proactive when I'm kind of facing, um, in whatever situation, so, you know, at home or in ministry or work or whatever it might be, I'm just sort of trying to pause and think, actually, what what is there? Uh, What does the word say about this situation? So even at work, you know, and kind of things going on, and um, are you even just in a meeting or you have to make a decision? It's just like, well, is there anything that I can draw on from the word of God to this situation? Because I recognize, you know, on one level I can just get sucked into thinking like everyone around me thinks. But we have a different way of thinking. So I keep asking myself, what does the Bible say about that? I mean, not that we live a, a kind of just a... The, the Christian life isn't just about following a set of principles. We need to be led by the Spirit in what uh, we apply when and we are in a relationship with Jesus. But uh, Romans 12, verse 1 and 2 says that we need to be renewed in our thinking. And then we will be able to test and approve the will of God, the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. We need to leave behind old ways of thinking and be renewed in our thinking. So we need to leave behind our old identity about you know what what uh, uh, wanting to be a success in the world's eyes or kind of feeling like we're a failure or being wronged or whatever it might be. We need to change how we think about situations and about our life. And then the third thing is to leave behind our old purpose. Here is a group of men who've been fishing for fish. And Jesus said that he wanted them to fish for people and to catch people, to pursue a greater cause, to be fishers of men. Pastor Clive spoke about this two or three weeks ago, didn't he, about a gospel cause. There's all sorts of causes that we can have. But, you know, politics or work or money or fame, success in the world's eyes. But we pursue a different purpose, a gospel cause. I've been trying to um, self-reflect quite a lot recently when I find myself uh, trying to achieve something or trying to pursue something, just sort of asking that question, what is my unconscious sometimes goal here? What is it that I'm trying to achieve? And is that the best thing that I should be trying to achieve? You know, in terms of the decisions I'm making or or kind of how I see things developing, just trying to stop and say, what is it that I'm trying to get out of this? And sometimes the answer is trying to get, you know, Uh, success in in kind of how people view me, or I'm trying to get comfort. (laughs) I'm trying to get a quiet life, five minutes, peace and quiet. And again, you know, some of those things, it's not necessarily bad, but is that the best thing to pursue money or comfort or security or whatever it might be? Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all the other things will follow after that. We need to leave behind our old purpose and embrace the call of God on our lives. So how do we do this? How do we do this? Well, I'm thinking about this, I was reminded of an old hymn. It's called Trust and Obey. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. But that's what Peter does. He says, because you say so, I will. Because you say so, I will. Peter, even even before Jesus did the miracle with a huge catch of fish, Peter recognized that this is Jesus and I'm Peter and we're on a different level here. Even before he'd had a greater revelation of this, he could recognize uh, some sense of his own position with relationship to the Lord. But Peter didn't know what was going to happen. He didn't know what was going to happen, but he did it and there's a sense in which he acted out of the revelation that he had so you know Jesus does this miracle this amazing catch of fish and peter says you know get away from me from a simple man he clearly a penny has dropped for him but even before that he's able to say because you say so I will so he's not had this kind of greater revelation which enables him to leave everything and follow Jesus but there is something there he has seen something that enables him to take this step of faith. And it's kind of like um, he, he kind of acts out of the revelation he has. And I think that, again, there's a key there, that sometimes we can, we can you know, want this incredible revelation. Oh, Lord, you know, I want to see, see thrones and wheels within wheels and eyes and creatures and, uh, you know, angels going up and down to heaven. You know, I want a revelation. And actually, sometimes we just need to act on the revelation we've got, you know, don't steal, don't commit adultery, you know, don't get angry, um, that, that we can always be seeking a kind of a greater and a further and a better revelation, but actually, maybe we just need to act on the revelation that we have, and out of that, God reveals more. It's like uh, the, the talks of how God led Israel in the desert, it's a step by step, he led them, you know, and it's almost just like one step at a time. We were praying about something this week, and Andy kind of had to, uh, helpfully Andy, remind us about how, you know, for the disciples, they didn't know what the schedule was for the year ahead, did they? They probably didn't know what, what the, you know, when they woke up in the morning, oh, what's, what's the day ahead got? But they knew Jesus, and they trusted him. And Jesus, you know, there was grace for the rest of it. And actually, it's out of being obedient and faithful with the, whatever the level of revelation that we have, that's what leads us to a greater revelation. That's what enables us, as we're obedient in the small things, God is able to entrust us with the greater things. You know, if, we're, if we haven't kind of fully engaged and responded to what God's saying now, then well, let's stop. Let's deal with the level of what we've got for God to take us to greater things. So there's a sense in which, you know, if we want to get to that place where Peter has just been completely gripped and convicted and persuaded so that he can leave everything and follow Jesus, maybe you feel like, oh, I'd love to get to that place. Which is like, well, you know, what place are we in now? What's God said to us now? What is the level of my how I'm persuaded about Jesus now? Because I'm going to respond to that. And it builds a foundation builds a foundation. So there's three things about what it means to leave everything and follow Jesus. It's by leaving behind our old identity, leaving behind our old way of thinking and leaving behind our old purpose. We do that by trusting in him, by trusting in Jesus. <clears throat> so we're going to pray and respond to that and Doug and the band think are gonna come and help us. So for the fishermen, they pulled their boats on the shore and they left everything and followed Jesus. And I guess my question this morning is: is there anything that you can see where you need to pull it onto the shore, as it were? Where there's there's something that is kind of in the way of you. Following Jesus. And I guess kinda of want to encourage a response from anybody who wants to follow Jesus, who understands the cost, maybe they feel like I've got a bit of work to do till I can get to that place of leaving everything, but I want to get to that place. For some, <clears throat> you know, gonna invite you just to, to respond as part of a continuation of this is the life that I am living, of leaving everything to follow Jesus. For some, it might be a recommitment of recognizing, you know what, I did that at one point, but things have crept in. It's interesting, I think, after the end of John's gospel, after Jesus has uh, died and resurrected, and uh, Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. And the men say, yeah, that's a good idea, let's go fishing. In the sense of which they return to that old life that they left behind to follow Jesus. (laughs) And I wonder this morning whether anyone feels like There's something that they've walked away from in the past, but through whatever reasons, it's kind of crept back in. They've thought, you know, I'm going to go back fishing again. Is there a boat that needs to be pulled up on shore? Or maybe you're here this morning and you've never before responded to the invitation to follow Jesus. Well, there's an opportunity to do that this morning. So, we're going to do, I'm going to pray, I'm going to ask you if you would like to follow Jesus, whatever stage you're at in that journey, I'm going to invite you to stand. And I'm going to pray, and then we've probably got a couple of other words to share, and the band are going to help us to do that in the context of worship. Let's just pray to start. Lord Well, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this incredible invitation to follow you. Lord, we thank you for the the way that you enable us to leave things behind, to follow you. That actually we can leave behind an old identity, whether it was being a success in the eyes of the world or our friends or our family whether it was being a failure in the eyes of our world or our friends or our family, whether we had an identity as being lovable or unlovable, as a success or a failure, whether we viewed ourselves from our activity or our sexuality or whatever it might have been that we clung to and made part of our identity. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We want to pray right now, you help us to step away from those things and follow you walk away from those things as as tangibly as if there were boats and nets on the shore to leave them there and embrace the identity that you have for us as followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus first and foremost. And Lord Jesus we want to pray that you would renew us in our thinking Lord where we've been wired through experience or habit or the work of the enemy even to think a certain way where where button A lights up, ball B, Lord, we want to pray that you would completely rewire our way of thinking and we would look to you to personally make the connections every day. Lord, that you would change how we think, that we would no longer be bound by the world's way of thinking, by our upbringing, by our experience so far. Lord, we look to you to change all that. And finally, Lord Jesus, We want to pray that we would receive fresh purpose from you. And I want to pray, Lord Jesus, actually, that you would move by your Spirit among us right now and that you would highlight for us the purposes that we have been living for, that you would put your finger where we've been striving for, uh, you know, to to kind of have a a marriage that looks a a certain kind of... um, World nuclear standard, Lord, that where we have been looking for success in our career above all things, Lord, where we have been pursuing significance apart from you, where we've been pursuing security apart from you, where we've been pursuing intimacy apart from you, would you put your finger on those things right now and bring conviction, Lord, because we want to follow you first and foremost. We want to live for you. Lord, we don't want to just fish, you know, the things of this world, like fish. We want to to pursue a greater cause. We want to be fishers of men. We want to be pursuers of the kingdom and your righteousness. So would you help us, Lord Jesus, to follow you?